Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 22 this morning. We welcome all by live stream, by way of uh, radio. We thank you for tuning in with us this morning. Uh, all of our first-time visitors, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. I want to first of all say that the month of January has traditionally, since the uh, institution of the ch- this church, been our stewardship month. It's a month where we take a look at biblically how God would have us handle all areas of our life. And what people often equate stewardship to is they say, oh, you're just talking about money. That person is mistaken on what their definition of stewardship is. Stewardship is being a good manager of every resource God has given us. And so this morning we're actually going to talk about specifically the offering that's coming up on February 7th. It is our Give It All Sunday. We do it the first Sunday in February every year. There was actually one year where we were planning on it, we preached on it, we did everything like we'd normally do, and then right before we got up to take the offering, I think the week before maybe, preacher just got up and said, well, we're not going to take an offering this year. God knew what you were going to give, and for everybody that wasn't going to give anything, they were really mad because they, they couldn't trick God on what their real intentions were. But this morning, I don't often have the opportunity to preach on Sunday morning, so I want to speak to you specifically on how we are to give our offering on February 7th. Uh, It should better be stated like this. How do we handle it when God requires from us a difficult offering? Genesis chapter number 22, verse number 1. We'll only read just a, a few short verses, so do your very best to arrest your attention on the Word of God. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 1, the Bible says... And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, please, please, we beg of you this morning, be involved in this, uh, in this setting. Be involved in church this morning, Lord, and as your word has been opened and it's been Uh, Read now, Lord, may your Holy Spirit begin to reveal truths from this Bible and from this living book that may be able to impact us and change us. Lord, please use this humble vessel before you now, Lord. I have nothing to offer this group of people apart from what your word has to say. So, Lord, please use me now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every once in a while, it's occasionally difficult to understand the real reasons for why we do certain things. The other day, my wife and I, this was a a Friday night, my wife and I were celebrating our fifth anniversary. And uh, boy, what a big occasion that was. Actually, that's just code for you have to spend more money on anniversaries when they're 5, 10, 15, and you hit those milestones. But nonetheless, we went on our fifth anniversary. And on Friday night, we went to a restaurant. Uh, Many of you probably know what it is. It's called Texas Day Brazil. It's a a slight upgrade from McDonald's, which was my first choice, but uh, she chose Texas Day Brazil. Now, when you go to Texas Day Brazil, it's a Brazilian steakhouse, and they come around and 
and they bring swords of slabs of meat. And they basically just, you have a little red button and a green button. And you flip it over for green when you, you want to be a glutton. Green means glutton. And uh, red means really full. So uh, uh, that's how you do that. And, and so you turn your button on green, and then this man after this man after this man comes by and just chops off a slab of meat that falls onto your plate. And now you have to eat it. You're forced to. So it's a very difficult situation. But nonetheless, me and my wife, were eating at Texas A. Brazil. When you go there, there's so much food that is offered to you, you have to prepare yourself all day long to go there. In other words, my wife and I, I didn't eat breakfast at all. My wife ate a small breakfast. We went and we split a small pizza, at a, 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 maybe like a six-inch pizza, trying to prepare ourselves to be hungry by the time we arrived at Texas Day Brazil. By the time we arrived, my wife was all angry and mad that she, she, you know, she was still you know, super hungry, so she was a little moody a little bit, but uh, I was too. We were snapping at each other, but we were excited to eat at Texas Day Brazil. We've been preparing all day long. We get to Texas Day Brazil, and the first question the little girl asks us, our waitress, she says, what would you like to drink? My wife says, I want water. Isn't that what uh, all spiritual ladies I and uh, uh, my wife, uh, or the waitress, turns her attention to me, and my wife looks at me, and I'm kind of thinking in my mind, and she's like, Andrew, we know what you're going to get. This is not a surprise. And about a hundred times out of 80 times, I would choose Dr. Pepper of no ice. I don't like ice. It hurts my teeth. I get more drink. It doesn't water down the perfect 23 flavors. Why add a 24th flavor? I don't understand. So, so uh, I, I, I don't particularly like ice, so I would always, always, always get Dr. Pepper no ice. And if they don't have Dr. Pepper no ice, sometimes I'm starting now in my maturing adult years to get sweet tea. And I like me some sweet tea. And I, I tell that waitress, I look at the waitress and I say, I want water. And you should have heard the thud when my wife's jaw hit the floor. She could not believe what I had just done. And, and I don't think you understand how rarely I drink water. I drink water when I find myself in desert places. Uh, I drink water after I've just run a marathon. Those are pretty much the only two instances in which I drink water. And so my wife looks at me and she's like, why did you do that? And I said... You know, I could have used the, the thought, well, I, I'm trying to be more healthy. But I don't think she would have believed me. I could have said, well, I'm just trying to hydrate because I know that carbonated beverages and sugary beverages don't accomplish that as water would. But I don't think she would believe me. So this is the reason, the real reason. Because I hate water. I wouldn't drink as much so I could fill my belly with steak and good food as opposed to drinking Dr. Pepper, which I have available to me all times. But she couldn't understand the reason until it was revealed to her. And I believe when it comes to giving offerings, sometimes it's hard to understand why God would ask such difficult things from us in regards to offerings until we understand the reason for it. And that's what I want to take a look at this morning. The three purposes for a difficult offering. First of all, I want to point out to you in verse number one, a difficult offering is sometimes given to us for our examination. 
for our examination. Look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, God tempting someone doesn't quite seem like within the character of God. And in fact, if you do any type of cross-reference in the Bible, you learn that God does not tempt man with sin. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God does not tempt his children to do evil. If you begin to look at this word and what it truly means, it could be stated like this. God placed before Abraham an opportunity to pass an exam. It was not a temptation, it was a test. And what Abraham was to do was to obey God during this test. But I, I kind of then got to thinking this, now, and this is just the way my weird mind works. Wouldn't God already know how Abraham would perform on the test? The Bible says that the Lord tries the reins and the hearts of men. In fact, there were many times in the earthly ministry of Jesus where people, especially Pharisees, were reasoning things in their own mind, and yet Jesus knew their thoughts before they ever spoke them out. Wouldn't God already know the score by which Abraham would get on the test? I think he would have. But Abraham wouldn't have known. Remind yourself of Peter, right? Peter sitting around a campfire one night, and Jesus says, Before this night's done, boys, all of you will be betray me. All of you will deny me. And Peter says, Lord, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, Peter, actually, I'm going to name the very specific scenario by which you will deny me. There will be a rooster, and it's going to crow three times. And after it's crowed that third time, you'll have denied me three times. And what does Peter say? No, Lord, I will die for you before I will deny you. See, no matter how much Jesus, all-knowing Jesus, was trying to tell Peter he would not pass that test, Peter would not have it. Peter said, no, Lord, I know me. I know my heart better than anybody. But the Bible teaches us a whole other lesson altogether, doesn't it? The Bible tells, tells us the heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so, in other words, how do you know how you'll do on the test before you've actually completed the test. God does, but you don't. I remember times in my high school career and in my college career where I really genuinely prepared for a test. And I studied and I knew the material in and out, backwards and forwards. I had certain methods of studying where people would just give me the answer and I would read to them the question. And I, when I would do this, I would prepare and I knew the test material, those times when I turned that paper in on the ones that I had prepared for, you know what I always did? I then bugged the teacher to see how quickly she was going to grade them. We would be on our way to lunch, and I'd say, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, can you just grade my paper real quick? I promise you won't even have to pick up your red pen. Because I was confident in my ability. I was confident in my preparation. And I actually looked forward to receiving the grade at that point. But there were the occasional times in high school, now these were far fewer, obviously, but where I didn't prepare. 
And maybe I decided to uh, watch TV instead, or maybe I decided to go hang out with some friends instead. When I turned those papers in, do you think I stood over my teacher saying, Come on, I want you to grade it. I want to see exactly how poor I did. No, that's, that's not the way it works. When you genuinely feel like you're prepared for an exam, you're excited to see the result. And what happens here is God is examining the in, intentions and the motives of Abraham. And Abraham goes without ever arguing with the Lord because I believe in his heart. He knew he was prepared, prepared for the examination that God would give him. First of all, the Bible clearly tells us that occasionally God will use difficult offerings for our examination. Secondly, I want to point out to you this morning, this is found in verse number two, for our prioritization. For our prioritization. Now, what makes this specific offering so difficult? Well, this is Abraham's son. And, and I have to be honest, when I read this passage, I don't understand the faith that it must have taken for Abraham to, to offer his son. I don't understand how he could even embark on the journey. I feel like I would have woke up the next morning and just tried going back to sleep. I feel like I would have probably just rolled over. But God asked Abraham to do this so that he understood where God was and where everything else was in Abraham's life. Look in verse number 2. The Bible says, And God said, Take now thy son. You see, we battle three very true battles when it comes to our prioritization in our life. Billy Graham said, If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help him straighten out almost every other area in his life. And we battle three very distinctive areas. First of all, we battle uh, possession. We battle the battle of possession. Look, God says, take now thy son. One lesson that we enjoy teaching here at the church is when it comes to stewardship, God owns all that you have anyway. And when you're a true child of God, you understand that every good and every perfect gift cometh from the Father above. And God has given you those things to be a steward of them. Then why here does not God say, Abraham, take my child? Because when God gives you something, it becomes yours, and God is asking you to honor him with it. God is saying, take your son. Wouldn't it be nice if we could tithe with other people's money? Boy, I tell you, I'd be a very good tither. Wouldn't it be nice if we could prepare for this offering coming up on February 17th and see someone else's account balance and give all that they have and just look at the Lord and say, Lord, I have given you all of their money. <laughs> That's not the way it works. We have a battle of possession. And what we do is we're, we kind of play the little war that so many toddlers have played in the nursery for years. No, this is my toy. No, this is my toy. And I want to play with that toy. No, no, I want to play with that toy. And we get in a tug of war with God. We battle the fact of what is ours and what is God's. Secondly, we battle the battle of premium. Look, the Bible says, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Boy, the value that Isaac must have held in Abraham's eyes. It was... 
You understand, he had Ishmael. This was not his only son, technically. It was the only son that God promised him. It was the only son of his old age. This was uh, the remnant of Sarah. This was the miracle child given to Abraham. And now God's asking for him back. There was a premium value that Abraham must have placed upon the life of Isaac. And one thing about difficult offerings is occasionally God will ask you to dig into your premium stock. The best that you have. It'd be nice if we could just give out of our excess and please God. But there's a Bible story where a bunch of men gave out of excess and God wasn't really that pleased with it. But one widow gave of her need. The very primal thing that she had. The best that she had. She was, she was a, a, a going against her very uh, a primal needs and she offered to God something that had extreme value. We battle the battle of premium. Maybe God in this offering will ask you to give a, a larger amount than you're comfortable with. Maybe God in this offering will ask you to give something that you never dreamed you would give away. But we battle the battle of premium. Thirdly, we battle the battle of passion. Look here in verse number 2. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. Uh, uh, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. See, God doesn't want the things that you don't love. He wants the things that you do love. For He doesn't compete with the things that you don't love. He competes with the things that you have tremendous affection for. Even in Jesus' teaching, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all of thy mind. You are to love God supremely, and everything else ought to be second place to the love of God in your life. He, uh, Jesus later goes on to say, So likewise, whosoever of, of you be that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So we have to make sure that God and Jesus Christ are our main objective and goal and purpose in life, and everything else falls somewhere behind the pursuit of them. We battle this battle of prior, prioritization. See, occasionally things slip up and kind of take preface over God in our life. Maybe that's just me. Maybe y'all don't compete with that. Y'all are probably much better Christians than I am. But occasionally something becomes of more importance. And I begin spending more time doing. I begin uh, spending more time researching and begin spending more time involved with those things. And all the while God is saying over here, did that die for you on the cross? Uh, did that give you heaven? And, and we fight this battle of what is going to be the priority in our life. Did you know that occasionally family gets in the way of God? Uh, sometimes our pursuits of what we want for our children get in the way of our faithfulness for God. Sometimes our own personal occupational pursuits get in the way of what God wants for us and what we want for God. And, and that's just the battle that we fight. I read a story here recently of, four friends that went deer hunting. Uh, as they got to the camp, they, they split up for the day. Two went this way and two went that way. Oh, they hunted all day long and one party wasn't successful, so they returned to camp. Uh, then they look up later that evening as the, the uh, sun has fallen and, and it's become nighttime and there's just the glow of the campfire and they see off in the distance a shadow coming. And the shadow seems burdened down with a weight. And as the man draws closer to the fire, 
they see that one of the men is returning with an eight-point buck on his shoulders. He comes to the fire and he throws the deer down, uh, excited about the hunt that day. And the two other men, they say, where's Harry? And the man says, well, Harry had a stroke about two miles that way. And they said, so you decided to carry the deer instead of Harry. The man looks at him and says, well, I didn't think anybody was going to steal Harry. How many times do we find ourselves putting things that really don't matter on our shoulders and leaving what truly matters, our pursuit and uh, our pursuit to please the Lord, we leave that back on the trail. We fight this battle of prioritization. So not only are difficult offerings for our examination, for our prioritization, but I finally want you to notice this, for His glorification. For God's glorification. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says this, and this is a tremendous life verse. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We are to obey God. Have you ever noticed how well an obedient child reflects upon the parent and how poorly a disobedient child reflects upon the parents? Have you ever been in a grocery store line and there's a kid in the buggy and Don't you appreciate how every grocery store puts candy right where you're going to check out, amen? You get your child there, and and your child says, I want a candy bar! And you say, you already had a sucker because we've been at the church all day, and Paul's been feeding them to you like they're carrots. (laughs) Say, I want a candy bar! And you say, no, you can't have a candy bar. And then there's really two ways that this scenario can go, right? There's the obedient child. Yes, Father. How many of you have ever been there where that's happened? I'm waiting for that day to happen. But there's also the explosion where the kid just begins to throw a tantrum. They begin to cry. They begin to wail. And everybody in the line behind this person's thinking, Oh, wow, control your child. Have you ever noticed how poorly a disobedient child reflects upon the parent? In fact, in those scenarios, you very rarely blame the child. You blame the parent. When we are obedient children, it reflects very well upon our Lord. When we have a life that is submitted to every beck and call of our Lord, you know what it does? It helps him understand what place he is in your life. I've never understood how Abraham was able to do this offering, to to offer his son Isaac, but I do believe that there's two ways he did it. First of all, he did it in fear. Verse number 12 of this chapter, God looks at Abraham, and we understand that God stops Abraham from plunging the knife into the chest of Isaac Verse number 12 says, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God. You see, having a fear for God is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. Fear is not cowering down in the presence of. Fear is a reverence, a respect for, a deep admiration and love. And when we fear God, we're willing to do what He asks us to do because we respect Him and we love Him and we want to obey Him. 
Abraham offered this offering in fear. In fear. Uh, I'm reminded of the story where King Saul is asked to go uh, 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 destroy uh, Amalek. And there was a, a king there named Agag, and, and he had treated the Israelites very rudely and very rough as they entered into the land before. And God sends King Saul to destroy Amalek completely. He tells him, you're going to destroy the men, the women, the very best of they, what they have. You're going to destroy all the livestock. You're going to destroy everything. First uh, Samuel chapter 15, King Saul does not do that, however. He takes Agag, the king, prisoner, and he returns to Israel with the very best of the sheep, of all the livestock, and he spoils the good that they have and destroys the bad that they have. It's a a weird story, though, because Samuel shows up on the scene, and, and Saul greets him as almost as if he had done what he was requested to do. In fact, he states that he did. And Samuel questions Saul. He says, Saul, If you destroyed all the best of the land, then what is the lowing that I hear? What is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Why why do I see the spoil all around when you were specifically instructed to destroy everything? Well, King Saul says, the people, they made me do it. Almost like Adam blamed Eve for it. It was the woman that thou gavest me. And he blame shifted. And that's what Saul did. He said, the people, it was them. And I don't find where they ever made Saul do anything. Later on, Saul proposes an idea to to Samuel. He says, okay, I, I realize I messed up. How about we just sacrifice and get it over with? I'll give an offering to God and we'll just get over this whole thing. And this is what Samuel responds to Saul. Samuel said, uh, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. I believe when it comes to giving a very difficult offering, it's never been about the amount that you give and it's never been, been about the offering that you give. It's oftentimes been more about the motives by which you give in. A lot of people give out of excess, and so they're very happy and uh, 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 happy to give that offering. But what I've noticed is God isn't super pleased with people that don't give offerings in fear. Not only did Abraham give this offering in fear, but I want you to notice this finally. Abraham gave this offering in faith. The Bible tells us whatsoever uh, that is not of faith is sin. We cannot do anything that pleases God in our flesh or not in faith. It is an obedience in faith. What do I mean by that? Well, this is why Abraham was able to do this offering. Is I've wondered sometimes what his plan was. Did he think that if he killed Isaac there on the mount, that God would give him another son? Well, that wasn't likely. I mean, anything's possible, but that's probably not what it was. I'm amazed that he was able to just so willingly obey God. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 9, that the reason that Abraham so readily did this is that he believed in his heart of hearts that if he were to plunge that knife into the heart of Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. What makes this unique is God had never raised anybody from the dead yet. 
And so Abraham totally believes that if he does what God says, that in faith God would take care of the rest. That's a tremendous lesson for us to learn. Wouldn't it be nice if a, a bunch of church members in this church gave sacrificially in faith, knowing that whatever they can't meet, God can. Whatever things that they may come up against, you see, if you get rid of the emergency car fund or whatever, however you handle your finances, if you get into your emergency car fund to sacrificially give to God and your radiator goes out next week, you believe that God in faith can take care of you in that situation. But probably most offerings are given out of comfort. They're given with the idea that if I give this amount... I know that I'll have this amount left, and I can probably handle any problems that come. You tell me where the faith is in that, though. The faith is in you. The faith is what you have left over. But that doesn't please God. I've got a question for you this morning, um, and I hope this this goes over well. I have in my pocket here a couple coins. um, and, And the first one's a penny. Now, can you... Brother Josh, can you uh, confirm that that's a real penny? You some expert or something? No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've got a penny here this morning. Now say, I promise you one of two things. I say, you can have this penny or you can have the blessings of God. Which one would you choose? Well, the blessings of God. That's pretty easy, right? Now I've got a dime. And uh, Brother Josh, I'm going to once again ask you to uh, confirm that this is a dime. You seem to be an authority on the subject. So, uh, Brother Josh, is that there a dime? Uh, That's a shiny dime. That's a new one. Now, what if I promised you this morning that I would give you this shiny dime or the blessings of God? Which would you choose? Well, I would probably say an intelligent person would give the blessings of God would be the choice. Now, if I were to uh, get more into uh, my wife's stash here, and I was to promise you a dollar, Brother Josh, no, no, hand out. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Brother Josh. Uh, Would you say that's a real dollar? What if I were to promise you this morning that I'd give you a dollar or the blessings of God? What would you say? I'd rather, we're losing some steam and momentum here, folks. Well, it's a dollar. You can buy a lot of water for a dollar. (laughs) I would hope every one of us in the room would say, blessings of God. Now, say we continue with the illustration. Here's a $10 bill. What would you rather have, this or the blessings of God? Well, the blessings of God. What if I said a $100 bill? What would you say? Well, probably the blessings of God. We can make a $100 bill. I've got here, now this is about all that um, my, my daughter, Caitlin, could come up with out of her piggy bank. So, uh. I've got $1,000 here. Now, $1,000, that that causes some of us a little bit more pause, but what if I promised you that I could give you this or the blessings of God? What would you choose? Well, I would hope it would be the blessings. But this isn't really a real illustration, is it? What if I were to withdraw the penny from your bank account instead of give you a penny? What if I were to say, Brother John, I'm going to withdraw this penny from your account, or you can have the blessings of God. Which one would you choose? Well, hopefully you'd say the blessings of God. 
What if I said a dime? What if I was going to withdraw a dime, Brother Curtis? Would you rather have a dime withdrawn from your account, or would you rather have the blessings of God? The blessings of God, I would hope so. But when we start increasing the amount of withdrawal, it changes a little, doesn't it? I mean, what if I, I, I asked for a $10 bill? Would you rather have a $10 bill withdrawn than the blessings of God? Well, hopefully you'd still choose the blessings. But what if we concluded the illustration like this? What if I were to take $1,000 out of your bank account, but I can promise you the blessings of God? What would you rather have? Well, hopefully everybody in unison could say, I would more please the Father. I would more do for the Father what He asked me to do. I would choose to give everything that I have so that I could earn and please the Father. Hopefully that's the way it would be said. But the higher the amount, the less comfortable we become. See, here's the real battle of the difficult offering. It's this, and we're done. Comfort versus faith. We give out of excess because we know what we have left over. And we're still comfortable. Do you think it was comfortable for Abraham to take this journey? Do you think it was comfortable for Abraham to walk up the mountain and know the whole time he was going to have to offer his son? Surely it was not. But in faith, he was trusting God. Look, I'm I'm never going to ascribe an amount to you as to what you should give. But I do believe there ought to be some questions in your heart about what God would have you give. I believe that you ought to be asking God, what is the line of my comfort And what is the line of my faith? Because I want to start seeing you provide in ways that I know I can. And whether it's a penny, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a thousand, whether it's more, know this, that when any offering is given in obedience to God and in faith from a believer, it's always been pleasing to God. 